Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, involving and supporting family caregivers in care planning and delivery. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 14, 2017. In this podcast, Dr. Anita Major, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, provides an overview of caregiving. As we face the demographic changes that are occurring in this country, it's increasingly important to recognize that our aging population will obviously require help. In fact, 80% of elderly Americans requiring long-term care currently live at home or in the community, and unpaid family caregivers provide 90% of their care. When we think about government expenditures, $66 billion were spent on Medicare and health in 2015. Compare that to the incredible $375 billion that caregivers saved the government in spending. Recently, the term sandwich generation has been coined. This refers to caregivers who are sandwiched between the needs of their children and those of their aging parents. I am part of this group, as are the majority of caregivers. Balancing these competing interests of dependent family members complicates caregiving further. How do we identify caregivers? They are not always relatives. They do not always live near the care recipient. Sometimes they are paid, but often not. Sometimes they themselves are elderly and suffer from disabilities. Regardless, we endeavor to educate, empower, and assist caregivers in all that they are tasked with. They will strive to meet the financial, emotional, social, functional, and medical needs of their elders. The image of a superhero coming to the rescue sums up all that caregivers take on. Here's where the superhero analogy really makes sense. The mnemonic is DCAF. D, caregivers can be asked to assist with direct care provision, which might include bathing, dressing, and toileting, which are activities of daily living, or cooking, doing the laundry, managing medications, and even medical therapies such as nebulizers or tube feeds. These tasks are physically challenging. Next is E, the emotional support that elders require as they come to terms with their own decline in function, their own loss of independence, or even social isolation or depression. C stands for care coordination, which is not only navigating the healthcare system, but also determining how and when to transport care recipients to those services that have been arranged. A is for advocacy, which is a crucial task that caregivers undertake. Elders that require caregivers are by definition vulnerable and often cannot communicate their concerns or preferences. Last but not least is F, the financial commitment that caregivers make to ensure all necessary medications, equipment, and supplies are available to the care recipient. One of the first lessons I learned in geriatrics is to get another perspective when taking a history. Um, In any case, initially I would speak to the patient directly upon meeting him or her in the emergency room, but then I would always try to involve a family member or friend to either corroborate what I had already heard or add to my understanding of the situation. The same principle applies with care planning. And as with all things in medicine, before we make an intervention, we first have to make a diagnosis. I apologize for how clinical this sounds, but I utilize this concept on a daily basis. When I teach medical students, for example, my initial step is to find out what they already know so that I can best tailor my educational efforts and maximize learning. 
An important term commonly being used in the caregiving literature is dyad. This refers to the combination of the care recipient and the caregiver and conceptually links them as one entity. A critical first step in assessing the dyad is identifying what they understand about their situation. What do they know about their chronic medical conditions? Do they have realistic goals and expectations? Do they know what to expect as diseases progress? Knowing the context of the dyad is also important. Who makes up the family unit? What is the financial status of the dyad? What has the duration of caregiving already been before you actually get to meet them? Clarifying goals of care and how the dyad wants to be helped is essential in guiding care planning. Lastly, there is meaning in every relationship. What was the nature of the relationship between those in the dyad before now, and how has that changed over time? Diagnosing the dyad should be a systematic process of gathering information to identify the specific problems, needs, strengths, and resources of the caregiver, as well as the ability of the caregiver to meet the needs of the care recipient. In medical education, we utilize the SPIKES protocol as a framework for delivering bad news. I find it useful in caregiver assessments as well. First, the setting should be optimized. And ideally, this means separating the caregiver from the care recipient so you can have an honest, open discussion. P stands for perception, which is assessing what the caregiver perceives about the diagnoses, prognosis, and his or her ability to provide care. The I is not so relevant, so we'll skip to K. And K is knowledge. This is where any clarification about misperceptions should occur, thereby educating the caregiver and imparting knowledge. E is empathy. We may not all be caregivers, but certainly we can see that these caregiver superheroes have taken on a difficult, complicated task. I believe that the P perception and E empathy are the most essential components of the SPIKES protocol as it relates to caregiver assessment. Caregivers are not always gradually introduced into their roles. For example, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey here in Houston, we have seen elders who were previously able to live independently now lose their homes and suddenly require assistance and even relocation. So being aware that caregiving might be an acute event rather than a long-anticipated one, you can see that, care, that the caregiver might have limited knowledge of the care recipient's health issues. As an extreme example, rather than asking, how long has your sister had HIV? It would be better to ask an open-ended question, such as, tell me what you understand about your sister's medical conditions. You can imagine it might be possible that the caregiver not even be aware that her sister had ever been tested for HIV in the past. Again, it sounds so clinical, but remember, you're trying to diagnose the perceptions of the caregiver. Your task here is to listen. Further probing might be necessary. Anticipating the needs of each dyad is impossible, but another question I often ask is what do you find challenging about managing your family member's health? This opens a dialogue whereby the caregiver can introduce his or her own concerns. Think of the caregiver as a critical extension of the formal health care system. The efforts of a caregiver are the most important predictor of how well the care recipient will do. Complications such as pressure ulcers, malnutrition, and recurrent hospitalizations are more likely to occur 
if the caregiver is overwhelmed and underprepared. To maximize the effectiveness of the caregiver, it is essential to help him or her feel supported in his or her endeavors. I mean, even a superhero needs a little bit of love, so please don't underestimate the importance of empathy. Caregiving is hard, and sometimes people aren't open to talking about it initially. So if the care recipient doesn't bring up anything when you ask, consider asking probing questions to delve deeper. As we mentioned earlier, tasks related to actual caregiving can be physically taxing, but there can also be non-physical manifestations of stress also, and this is probably what we see more of. As an aside, we should also be mindful that caregivers, when placed in that role, can actually flourish. Although less commonly seen than more of the negative emotions, we sometimes see that people have improved self-esteem and they feel better about themselves because they've mastered something and are making a difference. The bottom line is when we start to ask questions and listen, then we can begin a dialogue that has the potential to last years. In this process, we also begin to normalize feelings of anger, sacrifice, and fear, which can be reassuring to caregivers as they move forward in their role. In the next few slides, we will briefly review some of the instruments that can be useful in caregiver assessments. The Zeret Burden Interview is a validated objective measure of caregiver burden. It was initially designed for dyads dealing with dementia. The long version consists of 22 items, but a shorter version also exists. And I would like to highlight a few items. Asking if caregivers don't have enough time for themselves, if they feel angry, or that their own health has suffered are aspects of this instrument that are important in normalizing these feelings. The burden scale for family caregivers was initially developed in Germany and has been translated into 20 languages. It is not specific to dementia as the Zeret was. It is a 28-item questionnaire and I like that it includes not only negative aspects, such as feeling forced to be a caregiver, but also positive feelings, like being acknowledged by others and even feeling joy. The American Geriatric Society has another caregiver assessment, which not only asks about difficulty concentrating as a sign of feeling overwhelmed and positive aspects, such as feeling useful, but it also attempts to hit on an emotional facet of caregiving. There is a question asking if it's upsetting to see that your relative has changed so much from his or her former self. Specifically for care recipients with dementia, there may be feelings of loss as the care recipient seems to lose all psychological attachment to the caregiver. I mean, imagine taking care of your parent with dementia who no longer recognizes you. Dementia can also be complicated by behavior issues like spitting, biting, screaming. These behaviors must have a psychological impact on caregivers. And they may be dealing with these feelings internally but not have an outlet within which to discuss them unless we specifically ask. The needs and capacities of each dyad will vary. And if you keep in mind, again, a very clinical concept of diagnosing them what they need and what they, where they need to be, you can help fill in the gaps for them. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovation and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.